everybody. Welcome to OK Talks. I'm your host, Oliver Kendall. I'm a lifelong political nerd with an academic background in international relations focused in security policy and real-world experience working in the U.S. domestic political space and living in a number of other countries than my own, all of which combined, I think, positions me fairly well both to interpret for my international audience what's going on in the politics of my own country and to shed light for some of the folks back home on some events of note going on in the rest of the world. So every time I record an episode of this show, I feel like there are like five other giant stories that I should be talking about in addition to or instead of whatever topic I've decided to focus on. Like this time, for example, just in the last week or two, I've been eating popcorn and giggling while watching what appears to be some sort of putsch in Russia. Or I also probably should be talking more about the fact that there's more and more evidence, as if we needed it, that Donald Trump is a traitor to the United States, up to and including sneaking nuclear secrets and highly classified military documents and war plans out of the White House to show off to his groupies. But in this episode, I want to talk about President Biden, some of the sort of lingering doubts around his re-election campaign, fitness for office in the context of various factors, and the lukewarm support that he's gotten from some quarters during his time as president. I started recording this with the idea of it being one episode, but before too long it became clear that it was going to end up not being very short, so uh, for the sake of consumability I decided to divvy it up and release it in two parts. This gives me a great excuse to say, by the way, hey, if you haven't done it already, Go subscribe or follow the show on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts so that you make sure to not miss the second part of this episode. On another note, a uh, housekeeping thing, especially for my uh, non-American audience, some of this one is probably going to get fairly into the American political weeds. But bear with me. Some of what I'm talking about here about Joe Biden is based on and responding specifically to things that I keep hearing outside the U.S., things I keep getting asked by people who are from different countries, uh, and I think it's important for people to know, especially for people who haven't been familiar with Joe Biden as long as most Americans have, some of what I'm going to say here about the current most powerful human on Earth. In any case, here goes part one of this episode. Uh, stay tuned for part two. I'm going to try and get it out pretty soon. So, the 2020 Democratic primary included basically every Democrat who had held public office over the last quarter century and looked at first like it was going to be really, really messy. But then in the context of the pandemic and the overarching need to defeat Donald Trump, the party actually consolidated pretty quickly behind Joe Biden, including, rather notably, the forces of Bernie Sanders, in stark contrast to the 2016 primary where they behaved very badly. That said, though, there has continued to be griping in some parts of the party about Biden. Now, I think a lot of this can be boiled down into two groups. The, meh, he's old, or meh, he's too moderate, he's not left enough. The narrative that Joe Biden is boring or too old or in some other way incompetent to do the job has definitely made its way outside the United States. Having lived outside the country for the entirety of his term, almost any time Biden comes up in conversation, including amongst the sort of people who would probably be pretty amenable to a center-left American president, almost always come at me with some form of, oh, he's old, he's not all there, he has dementia, he's less exciting than Obama. Now, all of those criticisms are stupid for reasons that I'll get into here. But what really triggered me to do this was a combination of the recent increased attention received by several primary challengers to Biden who are interesting, 
And then an appearance a week or two ago on the New York Times' The Run-Up podcast by former Housing and Urban Development Secretary and failed 2020 Democratic presidential candidate Julian Castro, in which he sort of typified this anti-Biden sentiment, though he tries to dress it up as, like, concern for the party or something. This interview made me want to address, firstly, just how dumb these kinds of attacks on Biden are in terms of their substance, and also how strategically dumb they are if you would like to prevent a Republican, probably Donald Trump, from moving into the White House on January 20th, 2025. So I should say, full disclosure, I have been bullish on Joe Biden since his debate performances in the 2008 presidential uh, primary. Uh, during the 2020 campaign, I was convinced that he was probably the best, if not the only way, that we had for removing Donald Trump from office, and I think he's been the best president we've had since at the very least since the 1960s. That being said, the mere existence of a few, charitably put, rather eccentric primary challengers to Biden does imply that, yes, he may have a bit of a problem right now. That a number of Democratic primary voters say that they would be willing to support one of two uh, low-on-experience but high-on-name-recognition randos, Marianne Williamson or Robert F. Kennedy Jr., is a little concerning. That's not to say that either one of them pose a serious threat to Biden on their own or would be a good candidate, especially Kennedy, who's completely batshit insane. Rather, I mean the fact that, you know, about, 20, about a fifth of Democratic primary voters are willing to consider voting for RFK Jr., a guy who, whether or not they are aware of it, is an avowed anti-vaxxer who thinks that the revolution of dignity in Ukraine in 2014 was actually a coup engineered by the CIA, thinks that Wi-Fi breaks down the blood-brain barrier, 5G towers are emitting radiation, and, you know, mass shootings might just be caused by antidepressants. That about a fifth of Democratic primary voters, even if they are low-information voters, might be willing to abandon Biden for that? Just because they heard the name Kennedy? Well, that's concerning. The whole Kennedy thing, I should say, is also made worse by the fact that we are in this weird period of time where there is not a real primary happening on the Democratic side, and for the record, I don't think there should be, for reasons I'll get into later. But Kennedy himself is, you know, increasingly gaining a profile by going on podcasts with people like Joe Rogan and, yes, although I almost always defend him, I certainly won't in this instance, Bill Maher where Kennedy has been able to, in a way that's largely unchallenged, present himself as an alternative, even if one who believes that, I don't know, brain control rays are coming from the lizard people in space, penetrating your tinfoil helmets to make you believe that you should vote for some other crazy nonsense. But the fact that he's able to get a platform without facing the kind of challenge that would come from a real primary is presenting, let's say, an extra problem. And that problem takes the form of a situation where Biden faces challengers that are unserious but are not demonstrated as such because probably the damage of having an actual primary, like with debates and everything, for an incumbent president, which just isn't done would be greater than the damage done by this sort of nebulous, huh, there seems to be something wrong with Biden, maybe there's a better alternative thing created by having these other candidates. But yeah, Biden isn't really in a position to smack down these people. Uh, and although I tend to try to avoid general media criticism and descriptions of the media as a block, I will say, I think that some of this is also furthered by the fact that for most of Biden's presidency, you know, 
Biden isn't as crazy or scandalous as Trump, and I think that some of the media have been sniffing around for conflict on the Democratic side and kind of missed the good old days of the Hillary and Bernie people sniping at each other and have thus fanned the flames of any sort of anti-Biden narratives. The Castro appearance on this New York Times podcast, which I will start yelling about in a second, is a good example of that. So with that being said, I guess now is as good a time as any for me to go into my critique of Castro's interview on the New York Times uh, the run-up podcast last week. Now, Castro ran for president in 2020 as one of the Democratic candidates. He was never a serious candidate. That is to say, he was one of the people up on stage running to be the president of left-wing Twitter rather than the president of the United States and spent most of his time on the debate stage criticizing President Obama for having been an insufficiently pure progressive. One of the ways Castro stuck out from the other candidates, though, was the aggressiveness with which he went after Biden in one of the debates in a way that uh, seemed like a pretty loud dog whistle about Biden's age. I think it's probably better if I just show you. Here we go. You just said that. You just said that two minutes ago. You just said two minutes ago that they would have to buy in. You said they would have to buy in. Are you forgetting what you said two minutes ago? Are you forgetting already what you said just two minutes ago? I mean, I can't believe that you said two minutes ago that they had to buy in, and now you're saying they don't have to buy in. You're forgetting that. Now, in his defense, Castro swears up and down in this interview with the run-up that the exchange on the debate stage wasn't him playing the age card, and he doesn't think that's really a key issue, but, you know, bullshit. References to Biden's age are sprinkled all throughout other parts of this interview. Biden's agenda is backward-looking and insufficiently aspirational. You know, it's fallen and can't get up. Castro himself, I think anyway, belongs to a wing of the party that, rightly or wrongly, isn't super inclined to give people the benefit of the doubt when they say things intentionally or not that play into negative stereotypes about other groups. So I really see no reason to give it to him here. And like, come on, man. <laughs> Don't try to have it both ways and hint at it while pretending not to. Let's hear it. Wheel out the same old, oh, I'm sorry, Grandpa. Did you forget to take your Metamucil because you left it in the other pair of slacks you wear up to your belly button? Are you on your way to the early bird special to sample your favorite jello? Did you have your afternoon nap? Like, if we're going to make the he's old argument, own it. That said, I can see not wanting to own it because it's a stupid, simplistic argument that I'm tired of having to push back on over and over again. So, you know, naturally I brought it here. Yes, America's current president is the oldest one we've ever had. But in his case, this is largely an advantage. I mean, Biden has been in some form of national elected office since 1973. He has literally half a century of experience in American politics. Where did we get this absurd notion that in politics, inexperience is a virtue? If your house is on fire, you wouldn't say, get me anyone but the fire department. They're around fire all the time, so they're probably too close to big pyro. Yet a huge chunk of people seem to think that governing should be done by amateurs. I mean, even before he became one of the most active, involved, and effective vice presidents in history under President Obama, Biden got rather a lot of important things done during a long career in the Senate, including serious gun control and the Violence Against Women Act, both of which you probably like, unless my audience are unexpectedly fans of mass shootings and domestic abuse. Furthermore, to the age question specifically, people age differently. Yes, there are some great examples in American politics of people who are just too old to be doing the job they're doing. The whole drama playing out around Senator Dianne Feinstein right now is a prime example. She's had a long and distinguished career, and I apologize to her defenders for taking the other side of this one, but critical judicial appointments are getting held up because she just like can't get out of bed. Worst kept secret in Washington for a while has been that she just isn't up to the job anymore. 
But the same just cannot be said for Biden. People age differently. And the fact that he fell off a bike once doesn't mean he didn't qualify to be president. He's doing fine. Speaking of, can you imagine Donald Trump even going near a bicycle? Guy can't walk down a very not steep ramp without being basically carried by a soldier. He's morbidly obese and recently confused an obvious picture of a woman he was accused of raping with his wife. Yet we don't seem to hear nearly as much chirping about Donald Trump being too old for the job. Now, it is true. Biden does make some uh, verbal mistakes every so often. Living outside the U.S. among people who are less familiar with Uncle Joe than most Americans are, I do find myself having to explain pretty often that there is a backstory to this. And it's worth sharing here for my international audience and for anybody else who doesn't know about it. Yes, Biden does appear to make way more gaffes than, like, the average politician. And for those who don't know this backstory, that fuels the, oh, he's old, he's lost his mind narrative. The thing is... Those of us who have been aware of him for more than the past two or three years or so in which he's been the most powerful human on Earth while also being an octogenarian, we know that Biden has said, you know, dumb shit every so often for decades. We all saw, like, 15 years ago when he was giving a speech and said, God rest her soul about some guy's mom before realizing, oh wait, your mom's still alive! God bless her soul! He was famous for being Big Mouth Biden for as long as he's been a public figure. But it's not that he's, like, scatterbrained or something. The thing is, Biden has a stutter. In a piece in The Atlantic before the last presidential election, a journalist who himself has a very serious stutter explored the science behind this and how having a stutter is more than j j just having t t t trouble getting the words out sometimes. Sorry to do it myself, I'm just trying to illustrate the point. Uh, also, I'll try to remember to include the link to that article in the episode description. It is pretty interesting. Having a stutter, as the article explains, is... Like a disability that impedes getting the words and thoughts across. It doesn't mean that they're not there or are jumbled in some way. Further, the verbal energy that goes into trying to mitigate having a stutter leads stutterers to more often just straight up use the wrong word and stuff. Biden is not unintelligent. He hasn't got dementia. He's the guy who's fought his entire life to overcome the stutter that caused his middle school classmates to bully him as b -b -b biden and speaking is just a bit of a challenge sometimes. That's it. Circling back to the Castro thing now, at another point in the interview, the New York Times journalist talking to Castro about the idea of having a more contested Democratic primary, uh, the topic of the two other uh, candidates that I mentioned before came up. Now, to Castro's credit, although he'd already spent like 10 minutes undermining Biden at this point, he at least seemed to indicate that he would support the president amongst the current field of candidates. After all, one of those candidates is a weird hippie New Age healing crystals alternative science weirdo, and the other is Marianne Williamson. But then, here's where Castro gave us another perfect crystallization, I might say, of the unseriousness of the ugh, not Biden crowd. After implying grudging support for Biden in the context of the current field, Castro was asked if he might get behind, behind a different, more <laughs> mainstream alternative. The answer was an enthusiastic yes, and came with an unprompted suggestion of who that candidate should be. And it was Michelle Obama. Which just... I mean, nothing against Michelle Obama. She was a great first lady and is brilliant and very impressive in her own right, but, like, really? Okay, first of all, Michelle has never expressed the slightest interest in running for office. Okay, like, not only that, but, like, by all accounts and by <laughs> numerous things that she herself has said, it really seems like the idea would actually be repellent to her. Second, besides being very educated, intelligent, a good public speaker, you know, a good person in general, and, you know, possessing the Obama nostalgia factor, 
What exactly are her qualifications in terms of governing experience, especially when compared to an incumbent president with half a century of direct experience in governing? Like, okay, let's say that Biden did change his mind tomorrow and decided not to run. Just off the top of my head, Gretchen Whitmer has absolutely crushed it as governor of Michigan, as has Jared Polis as governor of Colorado. Both were just re-elected in relative landslides in former swing states that they've per turned pretty decisively blue. Um, Roy Cooper um, is the governor of North Carolina. He's got swing state appeal. He's done a very good job holding back the worst excesses of the Republicans in that state. He's managed to get re-elected several times in a state that really is pretty red at this point. Gavin Newsom very charismatic and accomplished multi-term governor of America's largest state. Besides governors, Senator Tammy Baldwin is a solid progressive who keeps getting reelected in America's now most important swing state of Wisconsin. <laughs> the same could be said of Sherrod Brown in Ohio, America's former most important swing state. Tammy Duckworth also has got a lot of Senate experience, not to mention having left several limbs behind in Iraq when the army chopper she was piloting got shot down. Besides just those folks that I rattled off the top of my head, there are numerous other current and former governors, senators, or House members on the blue team who have the kind of experiences that could prepare them for the presidency beyond just having, you know, been married to someone who used to have the job. By the way, continuing to break down barriers is important, and the Democratic primary electorate really does seem to tend to like the idea of making some sort of history in that regard. So with that being the case, just of the folks that I mentioned before... Uh, well, either Whitmer, Baldwin, or Duckworth would all be America's first female president, Duckworth would be America's first Asian-American president, and either Polis or Baldwin would be America's first gay president, as far as we know at least. There are some questions about uh, James Buchanan. Again, I don't say any of that to criticize Michelle Obama in any way. She's great, she's a national treasurer, she's an inspiration to millions of people. But for all the reasons that I just outlined, and some others, whenever I hear the ugh, I wish Michelle could just run thing, I don't know, it always just sounds to me like that one friend that everybody has who wants to sound like they know or care when they think they need to seem engaged in order to look cool, but they actually forgot to vote in 2016 because they were on a glamping trip or something and couldn't be bothered to figure out how to mail in their ballot. And coming from a person who is a former cabinet secretary, a former keynote speaker at a Democratic National Convention, and a former rising star within the Democratic Party, it just, it just, it just sounds unserious. Which is, I think, emblematic of all of the whining about Biden coming from inside the tent. Castro commits another few sins in this interview, which, again, tie into a broader critique of both the substance of the attack on Biden and the wisdom of levying it in the first place. Unless, of course, you're trying to help the Republicans. I'm going to get into that uh, in part two of this episode, so... That's it for this episode of OK Talks. If you like the show and want to make sure you don't miss the next episode, subscribe to the show on whatever platform you listen to podcasts. Also, as always, please like or leave a review, and most importantly, share the show with anybody you think might get something out of it. Especially anyone you know who is currently complaining about how they wish the American president was younger or cooler or some other nonsense. Yeah. As always, I want to thank my friend Nate Wright for having designed the podcast artwork, and you for listening. <laughs>